Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, we have exercised the demons. We're winners this week, and we're on the Victory. podcast. How are you, man? Victory. I'm doing uh I'm doing great, man. It was wild game in Stillwater, kind of you know, boring for the first three quarters. And then once Spencer Sanders came in, it got pretty Not interesting boring. what about you yeah <laughs> doing good man i'm really good um we practically begged for a win last week on on this show and we got it because <laughs> i was i was starting to have some deep thoughts about just the future no i'm just kidding it was great it was an awesome <laughs> win um and much needed and i i tweeted this after the game but it feels like one of those signature mike gundy culture wins he talks about the cowboy culture all the time, discipline and toughness. You know, your your back's on the mat. You're you've taken it on the chin from Kansas and Kansas State. They whooped you all up the Sunflower State, and then you come back. And I, I mean, Iowa State was favored in Boone Pickett Stadium for a reason. I I said it on the podcast last week. I didn't see a a clear path to victory, but you, my friend, your Podstradamus again. You called it. Spencer Sanders makes an appearance. Comes in. And ultimately saves the day for Oklahoma State, and they're able to get a a crucial win that you know if uh, all of the stars align, you're not mathematically eliminated from the Big Twelve title game yet. So it's like it's interesting right now, and it it was a great time for that. So I'm feeling really good. Yeah, it, we had heard last week that they were going to maybe try to get Spencer ready to play, but he was probably for sure going to be back for Bedlam. So we had heard that like right before we jumped on the podcast. <laughs> and as the week progressed, it looked like he wasn't able to throw when they tried to do that on Thursday. So he was available, but they really didn't play him. And right. they thought with the game plan they had, they could win the game with Gunnar Gundy. You know, Garrett Rangdell, Garrett Rangdell, obviously a little sick before the game. He's also listed as doubtful. And they're able to you know, keep it close and then bring Spencer Sanders in late, which I know probably wasn't the plan. I don't think they wanted to use him at all, but he comes in, he's able to lead a couple of good drives. They're able to score. The defense plays well and come away with a victory. I don't think exactly how they scripted it, but probably pretty close with them not having to use yeah. Sanders more than a quarter. Yeah. Well, that, that was the thing. I mean, we had heard some things about Rangel's availability early in the weekend. You'll, you'll hear a lot of chatter. Uh, and I think it's already been out there about like, why, why in the world, if Spencer was healthy, would you not start him in this game? Was he available in Lawrence? And I, I, I think it was a break glass in case of emergency type of game for, for Spencer Sanders. We're not going to play you unless we absolutely have to, and you feel comfortable with it. And, Ultimately, the time presented itself because Oklahoma State is not winning that game without him. They, I, they had reached a point in that game where I was concerned about their ability to move the football with any good regularity. The running game had slowed down. Gunner was having more issues. Iowa State was getting pressure. And then Spencer comes in at the perfect time and leads them on a, on a, a point-gathering drive. And you're just – it was a great set of I, – I, I will give credit – because I think it was a great game plan and a great approach to try to keep Spencer as healthy as possible going into Bedlam. I think that was the plan, and I think it worked. And you come out with a win, and ultimately Spencer only throws 13 passes, so that shoulder doesn't get too much work. Yeah, and you could tell they really, really didn't want him to take any hits. You know, on that one, on that one zone read late, he just kind of 
slides when he saw he didn't have anything there. And yep. as we've known Spencer over the past five years, he's fine lowering his shoulder and running through a guy. So, you know, that was definitely something the coaches told him, but yeah, I think they liked their defensive game plan. Thought they could do enough on offense to win the game without him. And then when it turned out that wasn't the case late, they went with Sanders and it ended up working out. So definitely an odd, like to, to your point, definitely great that they were able to do it. Maybe an odd way to kind of think about it. You know, if you're looking, you mentioned it and saying, why didn't Sanders play the entire game? But from everything we've heard and just kind of what Mike Gundy has said in his post-game presser, his radio show, that seems like it was the plan, no matter how kind of strange and unorthodox it was. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, you know, we can go ahead and get into it if you're ready, but they find success early on the ground. Um, Dom Richardson able to do some good things, still running hard. And I think that really set the tone for Oklahoma State. I think Gunner, you know, makes maybe the throw of his life, and Oklahoma State needed it because if he doesn't make it, obviously they don't win that game. Um, but several things had to happen for for Oklahoma State to be in a position to win that game ultimately. So uh, you credit the approach. Also, we've we've really given this group a hard time over the last couple of weeks, and deservedly so. But the Oklahoma State defense, Dustin, when they had to have it. They had arguably their best performance of the year. We had, you know, one of the things I've taken away from this game is that felt like the Oklahoma State team that we've watched over the last three years where you win the game with defense and Oklahoma State, you know, was able to do that. If you would have told me going into that game that 20 points is all they were going to have, I would have said they lose by eight. I had Iowa State at 28. So, I just, I really think everybody stepped up when they had to. And then obviously Spencer pulling a stone cold Steve Austin to come back in the game is, uh, is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. Let's get in. If you, if you're ready to let's get into the, uh, the offense, we can talk a little bit about the pre Spencer Sanders <laughs> offensive game plan and offensive style. You know, early on, we see a couple of things we haven't seen. You know, they went obviously heavy 11 personnel, not a lot of 10 personnel. They really didn't go to it at all until Sanders came in the game late. 12 personnel, we saw that a little bit elevated here. So some 21 personnel, two running backs and a cowboy back. I don't think we've seen that at all this no. season. And then we saw the heavy 23 personnel. But, Kate, I was really confused with the game plan early on. It seems like after the game, Mike Gundy has now said, I think in every media availability he's had since the game, how much he hated the offensive game plan. I agree with him. I don't know if they're for the same reasons because he hasn't really elaborated on his end. But we talked in the preview pod about Iowa State giving up the short passing game. That's kind of what their defense is based on. You go look, you go back and look at the game. They didn't blitz a lot. They did a lot of their drop eight stuff. You know, they mixed in some man here and there and things like that. You know, some of the disguise stuff they do, but they were giving some of the underneath throws, whether that be in the flat, intermediate, depending on what kind of coverage they were in. And Oklahoma State, Gunnar Gundy threw the ball 12 times. Five of them were 20 plus yards down the field. The, the very first throw, even though I wanted that to be complete because then I would have called it the deep ball to Owens. It's a lot of play action. It was a lot of deep passes down the field. And I just didn't really understand that. It was like they thought for sure they were going to be able to establish the run and they were going to take deep shots down the field. 
but they they weren't able to consistently establish the run and the deep shots weren't really there. And it just was kind of confusing overall to me. I mean, you see it even if you look at the one for 14 or 15 on third down. They only gained 0.9 yards on third down during the game. That's what they averaged. Yeah, it's it's so it just it just really kind of and I'm not saying I'm a coach or should be a coach or anything like that. It was just really confusing because every team you say see play Iowa State, they kind of end up taking that short passing game at one point or another. And it took all the way to the fourth quarter when Spencer yeah, right. Sanders came in for them to get that going. All of Spencer Sanders' completions were 10 yards or less down the field. Yeah, and the offense, like right when he comes in, it's like, where was this all game? I mean, anybody yeah. that even a, a very basic football knowledge thinks, okay, this looks different. What 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 has changed? They went really heavy tempo, it felt like, when Spencer was on the field early. Um, I am in agreement with you. I was confused by it in the moment. Um, one of the things I expected to see that maybe I should have, you know, checked myself on was more use of Gunner's legs. We've seen him run it pretty decently in the past. Obviously, we don't, we don't know much about his durability. He hadn't played very much. So maybe Oklahoma State intentionally dialed back the QB runs knowing this is a really thin quarterback room right now. And if he goes out due to injury, we're in a really bad spot at that point. So one of the things that I expected was to see some more design quarterback runs. I only saw a couple. Um, and none of those really did much of anything for Gunner. So uh, definitely a curious approach uh, for the offense at, at that point in the game. Yeah, I agree. I think you're. I think you hit it on the head, though. I think there was some, you know, Gunner. If you go down, and we have to put Spencer in, that could be a Dustin's problem. Dustin's playing a quarterback, sick, or a sick Garrett Rangel, or our guy Gavin from Hooker, <laughs> the walk-on. Love it. He's huge, dude. Has a big arm, but I, I don't know if you want to throw a walk-in in, in the in a conference game this late in the year. So I'm sure that was part of it. Also, Kate, he didn't really have a ton of success early. There weren't a lot of good scrambling lanes. I was actually really, from what I've seen from Gunner in high school and what we've seen in the limited action at Oklahoma state, I was really unimpressed with his performance with his legs. When he had the opportunities, he was getting shoelace tackled multiple times. You know, Casey Dunn mentioned it after the game. Gundy even mentioned it himself, Mike Gundy, that, you know, Gunner probably should have broken away from a few more of those tackles. And Casey Dunn said almost the same thing after the game that he's got to be able to do that. If he wants to be a starting quarterback for this team going forward. And he pretty consistently, I think almost every time he ran the football on a designed run or a scramble, he got pulled down by kind of a guy grabbing his foot or something of that nature. And that you gotta, you gotta get more from him on the ground than that. Like you said, but not just if it's schemed that way, when he gets the opportunities, he's got to be able to gain yardage, make a guy miss in space because I think that's what one of his, in my eyes, that was one of his skills, like one of his better skills. And he did not show it on, on Saturday. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I, I, it's a tough spot for the kid making his first career start. I mean, you've, you've had a little bit of musical chairs at quarterback. You're probably this coming Saturday going to be starting your third quarterback in three weeks. So it's going to be really interesting, but it, I, I think there was a lot of talk about Gunner's, you know, overall ability going forward after that game. We just caution you. 
Mike Gundy talks about this all the time, saying it takes 15 games for a quarterback to finally get it. There was a lot of bad. I will say that. But I think, you know, made one of the better throws we've seen in Boone Pickens Stadium in a while on that absolute missile uh, to John Paul, who you've been calling for on the outside all season. So um, it'll be interesting to see what what that looks like for Gunner going forward. What Just, you know, now you've seen Garrett, you've seen Spencer, what next? And you've got some guys coming in. So anyway, I know that's a different conversation, but ultimately, you know, get to halftime and you've you're you're in the or I don't know was Oklahoma State in the lead at halftime or it was it yeah, was a tight ten seven I believe yeah ten seven was the score going into halftime and you would take that every time knowing the situation yeah and Cade the thing was in the first half since we're talking about Gunner's legs might as well move to the other guys running on the ground Dom's first nine carries he gained fifty six yards that's over six yards a carry right. right. Then he he doesn't come back in. Gundy alluded to him not coming back in very much in the second half. I believe he got a little banged up. I haven't been able to confirm that, but he only carries the ball. After those nine carries, he only carries the ball five more times, and one of those was at the end of the first half. One of those was the fumble, so he gets that negative 12 credited to him, which you know he probably should have caught it, but that was also a 100-mile-per-hour pitch at his head when he's three feet away. Yeah, so right. tough, great job by... Jake Springfield, maybe the play of the game, getting on that ball. That was big time. But they're running the ball fairly successfully with Dom early. And then what Iowa State does, because the they can't really get anything going in the passing game, they're not taking those throws underneath, they kind of tighten their defensive line splits. So it was almost like they had a two technique directly over the guard to the field then a zero nose and then like a three four eye on the boundary side and then they were kind of bringing their linebackers or a safety around to the edge so Oklahoma State wasn't able to get outside zone going they weren't able to use any of that GT counter that they were doing a little bit earlier or the sweep game and they kind of completely shut that down by clogging the middle with those tight defensive line alignments and kind of funneling the ball to those edge guys and Oklahoma State had no real answer for it in the run game, and they weren't able to run the ball really at all in the second half. I mean, when Spencer came in, they basically threw every play, but they kind of had to abandon the run game because they weren't able to gain any yards. 40% of their runs on the day went for zero yards or less. Oh, God. <laughs> That's what it felt like watching it, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it was 13 runs that went for zero yards or less. I don't even have a, anything to comment on other than just that's, that is quite and, the stat. And, Kate, some of the things, like, I, I didn't necessarily hate the overall game plan. I hated, like, parts of it. But, you know, they were trying to go really unbalanced to one side and then get Iowa State kind of guessing. So they would go trips and, so, and with a tight end to the other side, or they would even go trips with a tight end to the trip side and run it to the unbound, run it to the weak side, run it to the field side, kind of mixing things up, trying to catch Iowa State off guard with these unbalanced formations. It just wasn't really working. They were also in 12 personnel. They had a cowboy back at tight end and one split out wide, and they would motion that cowboy back in because Iowa State wouldn't follow them in with their overhang player. They just moved the safeties over who are 10 yards off the ball, which gives you a favorable look to run against. 
you would think that that would work, but it just wasn't working. So the ideas were there. They just weren't working. And like I said, they did some counter, some sweep stuff in the run game that looked cool. It just what as the game went on and Iowa State made adjustments, when you have a freshman or, you know, a young quarterback out there like Gunnar Gundy, you lose Dom. It's you're already without Woodard and Wilson. It's hard to make adjustments on the fly. Yeah. And because that initial <laughs> script, initial game plan didn't work, it really set them back in the offensive kind of grand scheme of things. Yeah, well, and we've talked about this for weeks now. If Oklahoma State isn't successful, we, we really have seen this against K-State, KU, Texas even. That initial script has struggled for Oklahoma State. And it really is where they were gaining the bulk of their yardage. Like it, it really felt like once they got out of that, the faucet turned off to a slow dribble at that point, and you just hoped Oklahoma State could hang on. This felt like another one of those games where once they got out of their scripted 15 to 20 plays, they had nothing. And and again, you go back to Spencer Sanders' impact on the game, it can't be overstated because it really was to the point where Oklahoma State was three and out and punt or four and out and punt, and, and they had nothing. So – I think you have to also remember this is an extremely banged-up offensive line. You just mentioned it. This is also the best defense in the conference by far. Like, Iowa State is pretty far and away the best defense in this conference, and it looked like it. I mean, they they really put the clamps down uh, pretty well in that second and third quarter. And, Kate, I know people always make fun of us. We got called out for it recently by our – by our parent network for agreeing with each other, but you, you're going exactly where I was going next. My next note was MJ Anderson is a freak. Oh my unblockable number three for Iowa state coming into the game. You know, you hear and, and coming into the season, you hear a lot about Will McDonald, who is an amazing player. He's going to play on Sundays, but Kate, if you remember last week, I said, MJ Anderson is the guy that impressed me watching Iowa State on film. And he did it again. He would just shoot the gap sometimes, tackle the running back in the backfield. Not, I mean, one time he shot by Jason Brooks. On that fourth down play, he shot by Jason Brooks and just tackled Middleton in the backfield for yeah. a four-yard loss. Yeah. Just yeah. bullied through the offensive line when we're in a heavy set. He was amazing. Will McDonald was good too, but you're right. This defense was amazing, and that's why it's a tough – spot for gunner to be in absolutely not only not only making the start and kind of a must-win game for oklahoma state to even be in contention still but against a defense like this it it was tough and i, I don't think the game plan set him up for success normally you and i are pretty you know we're pretty pro casey dunn we've liked a lot of his game plans this year this one i didn't and yeah. i i definitely didn't like the ability to adjust but as i caveated a little bit ago it's hard to adjust when you've got a young QB, your offensive line's completely banged up, you lose your starting running back, you've got some of your receivers back, but it's like their first game back in forever. Hard to make adjustments, and I'm not making excuses. It's just you've got to go in with what you practiced that week. You can't really pull from last season when we won this game because these guys weren't here. You're Jason Brooks, yeah. you're Gunnar Gundy. These guys didn't play. So it, it's definitely tough, but I think overall – Running back-wise, I would have loved to see – I know we talked mainly Dom, but I would have loved to see maybe a little bit more Jaden Nixon. He had the touchdown catch, which was awesome. 
maybe maybe not Zach Middleton on that play. I, I didn't that was weird that huh? play call on fourth one. And not not even against Zach Middleton. He's a sick athlete. We've seen him on special teams. We've even seen him block on this play. We've seen him score on a yeah. play similar to this. But I, I just thought that was a weird spot when you've got DeAndre Jackson back fully healthy and you know he's a bruiser. Ollie, I think after that personal foul, we didn't really see him very much. Only seven snaps on the day, but it, it was tough because you're going you're going heavy dom and he's playing well, and then he's not in the game, and you're mixing up DeAndre Nixon and Middleton and Ollie, and no one's able really able to get any kind of rhythm going. So I, I didn't really like how they kind of spaced out that I thought, you know, they should have been more mixing in with Dom early to get these guys a little juice to where, you know, if somebody gets hurt, you're not just throwing these guys in there cold. So I, I didn't really love that either. I, I didn't, the coaching decisions on the offense in this game, I feel like I don't normally come after the coaches, but you in don't. this game, it was, it was, it was tough to watch on rewatch. And I watched it twice, Kate on rewatch. Cause <laughs> I, I do that for the listeners. And I, I, I hated it. I almost yeah. wanted to skip the offense the second time. Well, you know, and I, I'm I'm thankful for you calling it how you see it because it makes all of us better. MJ Anderson had himself like a Siaki Ika type of game. Like I I could I was trying to think back to a time where there was a defensive player that was going up against Oklahoma State that was as active as him, and that's where I landed because it felt like Oklahoma State couldn't get anything going in the run game primarily due to it, he was his name was called every time you looked up and so a, a phenomenal performance from him I, one of the things I take from this game is another week of Jaden Nixon catching passes out of the backfield he's really starting to come into his own there we saw it against Texas saw it some against Kansas uh, I mean he's he's really become a weapon and in that the, regard he had the one drop if he catches that one, I think we're talking about Jaden Nixon being like a go-to guy. Well, <laughs> receiving game. I mean, it's to the, been so many big plays in a row. Yeah. I'm going to do the thing where I ask for a little bit of a scheme change in the middle of the year. I know we love that. How about a little two back like him and Don? Yeah. When they went to it early, when they went to that 21 personnel, I was like, yes, yeah, here we well, go. <laughs> this is something interesting. And then they just run two plays out of it. And, and neither of them really worked that well, so I get it. But but it was cool to see. You probably have to be able to run the ball better than 1.6 yards a carry to run any two back with any sort of, you know, efficiency. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Who who, who knows? When you don't it, have it to respect crack. a run at all, I could see how that doesn't work. It cracked me up because the game we get all these receivers back, then we go to the two back. Yeah, let's, let's overload it. Yeah, let's so, overload I, it. But yeah, no, I, I think that's a great call out. I would have definitely loved to see more of that. I, I didn't think I didn't think the backs played terrible, you know, still missing a few holes here and there, but there weren't that many. Iowa State's defense, like I said, pretty much completely shut this down. And when you're missing Wilson and Woodard, it's tough because those are your two best linemen. You know, I've been all about Jason Brooks. I thought he had another solid game. He's not as good as Woodard. And then when you're missing Wilson and Woodard, Jason Brooks can have a great game. It's still going to be, I think, rough going for your interior offensive yeah, line. No question. No, no, no question. I mean, Wilson's absence has been felt. It's been felt for for weeks, even when he was in the game, but not very healthy. I mean, he we talked about it several times, just gritting through this season. Um, 
a predictable drop off there. I mean, we, we expected this. Mahalski's been dinged up. Eli Russ has been dinged up. You have really a, a situation on your hands in this interior offensive line. And it shows against players like MJ Anderson. So that was a predictable outcome. Um, and I think it's even one that we really kind of talked about as like, this is something that's going to have to be monitored. I will say going into Bedlam this week, a team that in OU that doesn't really defend the run at very well at all. This is an opportunity. If Preston Wilson is able to get back, this is an opportunity where you could see maybe more success in the running game. I know we're not on, on Bedlam yet, but more success in the running game outside of the first quarter. I'm expecting a little bit more uh, throughout the game in this coming week, but I know we're not quite there yet. But Yeah, I agree. No, I mean, it's a perfect segue into the offensive line. We can hit them and then come back to the receivers in the passing game, but it sounds like Wilson should be back this week. We're hearing that it's looking positive. Don't know anything definitive. No, Gundy pretty much confirmed Woodard is not going to play this week, and I'm not sure if we'll see him again this season. But maybe so. It on the radio show, Gundy basically mentioned Lacey, Ford, and Woodard are not going to be there this week, and it sounds like those three guys might not be available again this season. But if you get Wilson back, like I said, Brooks has been playing well. I think you can do some things. And in this game, you know, the run blocking was bad, but I thought. What I saw early, I saw Etienne struggle some. I saw Springfield struggle some in pass pro. They're going up against guys like McDonald and Anderson. Yep. We've already, t- you know, we've already g- given those two their yeah. flowers. I'm sure <laughs> we'll continue to do it a couple more times, but they struggle with them early. But but what I saw is due to these guys kind of rotating in and out throughout the season. Not so much Etienne, but through the conditioning. From, from Coach Rob Glass, they were able to stay in the game. And when Sanders got in there late, I know there was some quick passes, but they were able to give him enough time to make those throws. Whereas I think McDonald and Anderson were wearing down some. Our offensive linemen, the big guys, looked like they were still in the game, and they actually passed pro pretty well late. Again, quicker passes, shorter route concepts, but still they gave Spencer enough time and – he didn't get hit at all. Well, they, so they did awesome. They did what everybody else has done to them. And it was a nice thing to see for a change. It felt like I know Oklahoma State's done the short passing stuff. Don't take it that way. But it was nice to give an opposing defense a little taste of what we felt all year. It was like, we're not even going to give you an opportunity to get to the quarterback. And the way those Iowa State corners play off. Yeah, it gives your offensive line that's banged up a chance. And, you know, they move guys in. Uh, you, you maybe overload protection on one side, and it gives, you, it gives you a second. So I did like the way they played overall outside of the running game. Pass pro, I thought they were maybe as good as you could reasonably expect for this matchup. Yeah, and early on, like we said, they let some guys leak through. Gunner got a little rattled and it was hard for him to set his feet and make a throw, but you're also talking about being really banged up on the offensive line and you're talking about a a new quarterback who hasn't been out there. So I think both of those kind of play into how the pass pro looked early, but as you said, it got better as the game went on. I thought Mahalski was okay. The problem is when I feel like when it's, when it's Mahalski, Materko, Brooks in the middle and not a Wilson or a Woodard, a more veteran guy, Two of them will block great. And one of them <laughs> yeah. will let a guy come through. 
and I know it's it's not like it's happening every time, but you see it and you're like, man, if he would have just kind of walled him off a bit, Dom could have cut off his butt, got four or five yards right there, or maybe made a guy miss the second level. And I just felt like that's what you kept seeing over and over again, where it was four of the five guys are doing their job and one of them isn't. But credit to Iowa State, again, Anderson is the one normally causing the havoc. And he basically just took turns bashing through our interior offensive linemen. So a little bit on the offensive line, a little bit on Iowa State just being really good on defense. Uh, Matirko, again, I thought he was okay. I thought it was a little bit better game than normal from Matirko, especially in pass pro. I thought he has really struggled in some games this year. I didn't think it was terrible. Springfield, like I said, okay. He's had better games. And then Brooks, I thought, I even think he has had better games this season, but I didn't think he was bad. I think in place of your best offensive lineman, he's doing a good job. Well, I, I always look forward to your analysis of the offensive line because it's meticulous and it's it's always fair and appreciated. And so, no, it's <laughs> it's great because it's stuff that, uh, you know, and I've heard this several times, it's stuff that a lot of people don't notice. But I would I would agree with you. I thought I think Brooks has filled in as well as you could possibly have expected. And it was needed because if not, the right side of that offensive line would be an absolute sieve right now. And it even kind of is, <laughs> but it would be so much worse than it is right now if you didn't have him out there on that right side of the offensive line. So uh, hopefully, hopefully with Wilson being back in, this is the healthiest you've been on the offensive line with the starting unit in five weeks. Yeah, and it's great reps for these guys. Kate, this was the first time all season Oklahoma State only played five offensive linemen in a game. That's great. And, I mean, I thought that was interesting. I thought it was just interesting in general for any team, really, because we've been rotating our offensive linemen early on in the season. But, you know, it. we thought it would pay off a little bit more. I think it's just the run game overall has struggled. But I, I think we can see that it's not a complete catastrophe because these guys have gotten reps early in the year. So that's good. And, you know, Kate and I are talking about one guy coming back in Preston Wilson, but he's the quarterback of the offensive line. Yep. And it is that big of a deal to get one guy back when it is him. I think, I think when you start thinking about the way this zone running scheme works, we've talked about it so much. That center position is so important to get things flowing the right way early uh, it's it's crucial, and I think you'll see that pay off a little bit against an OU team who, again, has struggled to defend the run early in this, or you know, pretty much all of this season. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. But Dustin, we do need a couple of things. We we need to get to the wide receivers. A tough game to grade them on because the opportunities were not a plenty. I mean, fourteen total completed passes in this game. Again, and I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. The 12 passes from Gunner, I just didn't really like what was going on in the passing game. Right. So I don't want to take too much away from Gunner or the wide receivers in that part. I I thought, so Bray and Braden Johnson being back, loved it. Gundy said they're finally full participants in practice again. So we will see them again this week. Nobody got banged up as far as we know. I thought they both looked a little rusty, but they shook. I think they're shaking a lot of the rust off in this game to get ready for Bedlam. So I think that's a good thing. Hard to really grade 
either of them. Braden had a couple good blocks, but I don't even think he had a target. And then Bray had three targets, caught two of them. The one he missed, I get that he could have caught it, but I did not count that as a drop in my charting of the game. Because one, Jaden Bray can dunk on like a 15-foot goal, and he got pretty <laughs> high in the air there. And two, they actually called this out on the broadcast as well, which I was kind of shocked by that the guy could tell that that quickly live. I had to watch it on replay. That was the wobbliest throw I've ever seen. Not, And I'm not, I'm not coming at Gunner. I'm saying he didn't have a lot of time to set his feet, and he had to kind of step to the side and throw it. And I think the ball may have slipped out of his hands a little bit because he normally puts a little more zip on it than that. But for Bray to jump and catch that in the middle of the field would have been more incredible than him dropping it. Well, so I'll a couple of things there. One, I thought Gunner was going to knock out some lights with how high he was throwing the ball at times. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were going to have to get the electrician at the Boone Pickens Stadium at halftime, <laughs> take a look at some things. Additionally, when that throw happened live, I thought his arm got hit. Because of the way it kind of came out of his hand, you could tell exiting his, and it didn't, it didn't get hit. But when it happened live, it looked like the ball got hit and, and therefore was fluttering in the air. And so, yeah, I don't really, you would like your receiver to make that catch, but I mean, that ball's coming in sideways. It's not. It's not meant to be caught. It's like catching a Tom Hutton punt. Yeah, right, right. Don't we always talk about how hard that seems to be for everybody? I'm not really going to hold that one against Hutton. And Bray had to cut off the corner of that route by what appeared to be about 15 yards to come back to it. So it was just not a great, great outcome. Yeah, so I didn't have that one as a drop. I I mean, do you think anything different on those two guys? It's hard to – I can't – I can't even give them any kind of, not that we always do letter grades, but I can't even really give either of those guys a grade on no. this game. Just for being their first game back, how little targets they got. Braden only played, Braden played less than half the snaps. Bray also, Braden played 30 snaps. Bray played 27 of the total 63. So yeah. just not a lot there. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, you've got John Paul at three catches for 90 yards. Brennan Presley at two catches for 23 yards. Bray at two for 21 uh, and Bryson Green at two for 13. And that's pretty much it, folks. You got Jaden Nixon at three for 28. So again, back to his di- his ability and out of the backfield, I, I, I'm ready to feed him more. Yeah, I loved, I also loved that John Paul play. Great throw by Gunner. Great route by JP. Flying down the field. I told you guys he was fast, but they set that up earlier. Did you see my... In the Twitter thread? Yes, phenomenal. So it's kind of like a double curl route type comeback from the their trips to the field. And they're just kind of finding space, Presley and Bray, in the Iowa State zone. I, I'm assuming the coaches saw on film, it was kind of hard to see from the TV view, but it looked like the safety bit hard on Bray's curl. And the first time Gunner just kind of fired it in there and got, got it there. No one really paying attention to that slot fade. So they ran it again later, and he was not wide open, but he had a step on that defensive back, and there was no safety there. So just threw it over his head. Beautiful. I I think they saw a good look they liked from Iowa State's defense, but I love that play call, speaking of being negative about the play calling. And John Paul, he's so good. I wish he could get 20 targets a game. Yeah, He's amazing. Well, they've they've got to figure that out because he's a downfield threat. He's he's of safety blanket over the middle. I really do think he's at the point where he commands a little bit more presence in the offense. And it makes 
opposing defenses have to counter with what is now a Jaden Bray, Bryson Green, you know, dual threat on the outside with John Paul Richardson and Brennan Presley on the inside. Can I get a slot fade, please? Like this week, that's all I'm asking for. He, and Kate, the crazy thing is, outside of Langston Anderson, I believe he played the least receiver snaps. Oh wow, yeah. So it, it, it's interesting, and you know, we talked about it. You you take you put him on the field, yeah. And you're not in ten personnel, which I said they didn't run a lot of this game. You have to take Brennan Presley off, which you, you don't really want to do that either. So it, it's tough when you, it's a wealth of riches at that slot position. It's awesome to have them both, but they can't be out there for every play unless you yeah, right. run full spread 10 uh, Bryson green. You know, it, it, it didn't seem like him, him and Gunner had a lot of connection there. You know, the yeah. five targets, he only catches two. Spencer, I believe is able to hit him late on a little kind of hitch route, short curl on the side, but not a ton from Bryson. He got held up also on that Spencer kind of the deepest ball. I think Spencer threw of the day. When cornerbacks are in that catch coverage, it's tough because yep. it looks like they're in zone. They're five yards off the wide receiver, and then they just stay there and hit you before <laughs> that five-yard mark, before they get the penalty, and it knocked Bryson off his route. Spencer already doesn't have good timing on the deep ball right now. Gundy said he hasn't been throwing balls over 12 yards in like three Jeez. weeks. And so, you know, the, the little timing off right there. I, I didn't think it was Bryson's fault, though. Again, not much to grade there. I thought he blocked well, hustled hard. Not a ton from him. So I, outside of that, Kate, I think the the Cowboy backs, three targets in this game out of Owens and Cassidy. There was a lot of underneath crossing routes. It seemed kind of like the safety valve for Gunner. They would keep the running back in, send the receivers a little bit deeper, intermediate and deep down the field, and then have that Cowboy back run that crosser short across the field. Gunner hit it. Um, Sanders hit it later out of 10 personnel. It was JP. But they looked for Owens deep. They had the throw to Owens on the interception. I, I thought that they might try to get them involved in this game, and, and they did. I know it's only three targets, but that's three more than normal. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it's going to be interesting because I think OU's defense here coming up next week gives you plenty of opportunities. I, I think there's a lot to be desired in the secondary. So I, I'm kind of looking at Bryson Green as as maybe an X factor in this coming up game. So we'll see. We'll see, man. Yeah, I think the outside guys can do it. And, and Kate, before we wrap up, I think we just have to say a little bit more about Spencer Sanders coming into this game. Yeah. I mean, that was just the toughness this guy has shown. And I know – I know Cade and I are big Spencer Sanders guy. I wore my Spencer Sanders Eskimo Joe shirt to the game like a weirdo, but a cool shirt. I, I just thought him coming in and being able to throw the ball around that it was a quarterback GH counter with a running back pop pass. It's basically an RPO that throw to Nixon. I put, a, I put a Twitter thread up on it and broke the video down. Love that play. That only works if Spencer's in the game. They only bite that, bite that hard on the run if Sanders is in the game. You just see how much more dynamic oh. he makes this offense. You can see the defense literally, you know, just everyone is aware of what he is doing. They've got to pay so much attention to him. And the fact that he's going to be able to come out and play in Bedlam, I think, gives us a really good chance to win. I just I think this game kind of cemented, helped cement his. I already thought it was 
you know, a, a great legacy at Oklahoma State. But even if he doesn't come back next year, this game was big time. It it really is, hopefully, the game that shuts everybody up. And I think most had come around to where you and I were. You and I were here a year and a half ago. Um, I mean, just fact of the matter. We have been on the Spencer Sanders train for a long time. It's taken some time for others to get there. But this sh- this should be the game to where you kind of see what it could look like. And I I think sometimes that's healthy, right? You don't know what you have until it's gone. I think this is a really healthy, sobering reminder of what Spencer Sanders is as a player, what he means to this offense, to this team. I would even go as far as to say what he means to the program. I think right now Spencer Sanders elevates this team from a middling Big 12 team to a contending team. And I think if this if this season wasn't so marred by injuries, I mean, this is a historical thing we're talking about here, then we're talking about another run at a Big 12 title for Spencer Sanders in Oklahoma State. And so I don't think the question is anymore about, like, is Spencer Sanders a guy? It sounds so ridiculous to even say that out loud, but there's still people talking about that. I think that's done now, thank God. But I think the next question becomes, and we don't have to talk about this. This is where my head's at, though. Where is he at all time for Oklahoma State? Let's say he goes and beats OU this week. I've got him at two. I mean, I already he's already close to, to taking that spot. But if he goes and beats OU and gets a second in a row in Bedlam after this type of season, I think the conversation is pretty easy at that point. So all, all, all of that to say, give Spencer Sanders the respect that he deserves because he's earned it. Hundred percent. I completely agree with everything you said, and you know we've we've been here. We've been here, Kate. <laughs> so hop on board. I really could go on and on about that because I think Spencer's given up his body. He's he's been injured for what feels like years now, but he keeps going out there. He keeps playing. Keeps winning games. Uh, did you notice, by the way, he ditched the gray undershirt? That was his kind of like. It was his superstitious, you know, it's your game day pair of socks. He ditched it. He was in all yeah. black sleeves. I I think that had something to do with whatever was holding his shoulder together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was yeah, wondering, I was like, Spencer looks pretty swaggy today. Also, I'm sure OU saw him run down the sideline after John Paul and knows his ankle is 100% better now. He's fine. <laughs> I think he's going to be fine. <laughs> I was like, Spencer, chill, dude. Chill, yeah, chill. no kidding. Well, <laughs> we we also, again, let, let's pivot. We Cowboy backs, we good there? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm ready to move on to the defense if you are. Well, I mean, talk about a performance that you had to have from this group. Five turnovers. I mean, you start there because without them, I don't think Oklahoma State wins this game. Obviously, the offense didn't end up doing much with them at all. But you you stopped Iowa State five times from driving down the field, forced several punts. I thought, hands down, without a doubt, this was the performance of the year from the Oklahoma State defense. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we're talking about the offense being banged up. You're missing Trace Ford, Tyler Lacey, Thomas Harper. 
you're out there playing guys like Lyric Rawls a few snaps. Nick Martin gets in yeah. there. Lamont Bishop. You got Sean Michael Flanagan playing the strike safety, which I don't think we've really seen him at this year. And I think they were actually kind of rotating him and Daniels around at that position. They were using it a little bit differently in this game, which we'll get into. But it, that was an amazing performance. And Kate, the thing about the turnovers, you just mentioned it. Four of them, I believe, were just forced by Oklahoma State. They weren't like errors by Iowa State. You know, I'm listening to Matt Campbell's post-game press conference, and he's obviously going to say this. You know, he's not going to give Oklahoma State all the credit. You know, he can't have five turnovers. You couldn't have done anything about four of them. Jason Taylor makes a great play on that interception. Deckers had no idea what coverage they were in there. Jabbar Muhammad, that's literally an impossible interception to make. And he almost did it twice. That's why the Oklahoma state cornerbacks, they don't have a lot of interceptions ever the past through the Knowles and now the Mason years, because they are in a lot of times in man coverage taught to only turn around when they see the wide receivers eyes light up down the field. I know that was like a curl route right there, but he's in tight coverage and he's able to kind of win that ball. You got the, the, the two forced fumbles, I, I just – it was just incredible that the defense was able to cause that much havoc and get those turnovers. And and they came on really just sound plays from the defense. I mean, Kendall Daniels torpedoing um, the Iowa State running back was one of the better individual defensive plays we've seen this season. I mean, it felt like Oklahoma State hadn't forced a turnover in a month and a half. So you see that, I mean, Kendall was a man possessed. I know we'll talk about him, but in a group that really shined at all three levels all day, Kendall Daniels had the the game we were waiting for. And I think sets you up again. Keep I keep getting to Bedlam because I'm ready to talk about it, but it really sets you up, I think, for what a game that you're going to have to have a great Kendall Daniels performance with the way they run the football. But regardless of that, this was several phenomenal individual plays in this game. Great tackling from the linebackers. Better than normal. I would say maybe not great, but better than we're used to. Um, and ultimately, guys in the right place. Felt like a guy that we've talked a lot about in Xavier Benson, I would say had one of his best games of the year pretty much easily just based on being in the right spot and then making the play when it presents itself. So you may have a different take, but I'm curious to see kind of what you thought about the unit as a whole and maybe some of these individual guys. Yeah, I thought over, you know, we got some, we got a question on Twitter, I believe, kind of during the game, after the game, what did Oklahoma State do different on defense this game than they have in the other games, you know, to kind of stop the run and things like that? You know, Iowa State only rushes the ball for 1.6 yards per carry. You know, oh, that's terrible. Four. Who would do that? There's there's four sacks in there as well. So, you know, non-sack a little bit higher, but still, Cartavius Norton only 2.9, Jarrell Brock on his four carries, only three yards per carry. Deion Silas, only 2.3. So, and Iowa State, I feel so, you know, we're talking about Oklahoma State's injuries. They cannot, they haven't been able to keep their running backs healthy at all this season. And like all of them got hurt in this game. But yeah. the, the, the thing that I saw different, and, you know, you got to go game plan by game plan. It's different offenses. But it, the main thing was just that they tackled better and they set the edge. We talked about that 100%. last week. They just were able to make it a point to set the edge and not let anybody get to the perimeter, funnel the ball back inside, and then they gang tackled 
everybody rallying around the football. It's what Derek Mason talks about after every game where they have a poor performance that they didn't rally to the football and they did in this game. I think it's really as simple as that. You know, they did a, they did a few different things. I talked about in my Twitter thread, them playing that strike, that nickel, not so much over the slot, but kind of in an overhang position, which means in between the last guy on the line of scrimmage for the offense and that slot receiver, giving him a little bit better angle to help on the pass, but also peek inside for the run. They did some things like that. They basically had one of the safeties up near the line of scrimmage at all times, a lot of two high and single high, not very much three or very much like completely lined up over the slot. And they were daring Iowa state to beat them deep. I think Decker's only completed one of six 20 plus yards down the field. So they just, they just had a really good game plan for Iowa state knew what Iowa state's offensive weaknesses were and exploited them. Yeah, no no question. It felt like they were flying around. I think the couple of early turnovers probably got them feeling pretty good about themselves too. make you feel like you're doing the right things. I I could see how they just needed a shot in the arm. And I, I really do think that that play from Kendall Daniels early in that game Coming up and making the play, forcing the fumble, I really felt like at that point, the Oklahoma State defense, they had already been playing well, but they didn't really look back from that point. And I, I could see how a shot in the arm would help. So, again, I, I loved the way they played. I loved the attitude they played with. Um, and against a team like Iowa State, who has several weapons on the outside, you know, they cut Jalen Noel loose at the end of the game that nearly cost them, nearly cost them the game. So this could have been a very different conversation. Xavier Hutchinson still had a phenomenal game, but I think you were willing to give that up to really handle Iowa State's rushing attack because we talked about that last week as something that was concerning was Iowa State's ability to find sustained success on the ground through some of their counterplays, other things like that. They they never got anything going. Yeah, they really didn't. And, you know, it looks like Decker's had a pretty successful day, 67% completion, almost 300 yards, but he really didn't with those three turnovers. So it, it was pretty much all Noel and Hutchinson, and Hutchinson's obviously going to do that to pretty much everybody. He's an NFL guy. The defensive line, though, Kate, if we want to get into the units, I thought Kapinski was great. I thought Brock Martin that dude, he's so banged up, and he's just given it everything he had. He made a couple of really great plays in this game. And I think with the way they had the defense set up with kind of that overhang and bringing those safeties down allowed him to cheat a little bit more. And when he cheated, he found some success this time. So that was awesome. And then Colin Oliver, when they you see what happens when a team tries to block him one-on-one when they have to pass. When Iowa State had to pass late – he absolutely dominated. Yep. So, th- I mean, that's kind of the thing. When they're able to shade extra blockers over to Oliver or get the ball out super quick, he's not going to be able to get to the quarterback. And in this game, he did a great job. And I also think he played well against the run in this game too. Well, I mean, four sacks for the unit as a whole, 11 TFLs, that's that's a phenomenal day. And the thing to note is they got home. Every QB hurry they had resulted in a sack. That is phenomenal efficiency. You maybe want a little bit more pressure on the quarterback at times, but if you're going to sack him every time you get home, I think that's pretty good. So um, I, I, I felt like Deckers was rattled from the get-go. Um, I, I was not impressed you with him. You could see it, yeah. And if you – quite frankly, I was shocked when I looked up and saw he had 270-plus passing yards because 
I think it may have been the turnovers. I think it may have been the fact that a lot of that came at the end of the game when they had to have some sustained yardage and some sustained drives. Outside of that, I was I was not impressed with his ability to get through the Oklahoma State defense. Um, and quite frankly, some of the sacks were him holding on to the ball, it felt like. So anyway, I think the Oklahoma State defense did all they could. That stat for me, 11 TFLs is the story. So you ask me about the Oklahoma State defensive line. Um, that That is a number right there that you can, you can build off of. And I mean, you, you look forward to what they're able to do in the coming weeks with stuff like that, because that was the game from the defensive line we may have been waiting to see. Yeah, and I thought I thought everybody had a solid game. Xavier Ross, Colin Clay, yep. Cody Walterscheid, Samuela, Asi. And then you've got Nathan Latou out there. They used him whenever they went with the three Leo look on third down or if they got second and really long or a lot of late in the game. We've seen them go to this look a lot when they're when they know the other team is gonna pass. I thought Latou, he, he's not you know, it, it's not that he's a better player than Lacey. I think Tyler Lacey is an NFL guy. But Latou's a little bit closer to a Leo, whereas Tyler Lacey's a little bit closer to a defensive tackle, kind of on that on that spectrum. So seeing Latou out there on those those downs, which are definite passing downs, almost liked it a little bit better because he's so much more dynamic in that kind of that he's faster, I think than Lacey and a little bit more agile. I I would, you know, I'd much rather Lacey for a full game at at that DTDE spot. But in those three Leo looks, I really liked what Latou brought to the table and he even got a sack. Yeah. A hundred percent. I thought he was great. It's nice to know too, because we've had questions on that interior defensive line. And so his ability to kind of move around and play in both spots, has been helpful. Um, I, I would agree with that completely. Yeah, and I think, you know, you already hit on it a little bit, but linebacker-wise, I thought Xavier Benson had by far his best game of the season. Is that no, too hot? I mean, no that, question. that's correct, is it? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is correct, sir. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, he's, a, you know, we we talked about on the last pod about every, all the top four tacklers being defensive back, being defensive backs. Xavier Benson said, no, 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 this game. He he had seven tackles, four solo, but he was all over the place. And the thing that I liked, we've talked about him as kind of the slow reactions. Even if he made maybe a little bit wrong of a fit or or, you know, missed the guy by a little bit, he was flying into yeah. the line of scrimmage, flying into his run fit and not waiting on these offensive linemen to kind of come at him. And he shrugged off an offensive lineman getting up to the second level. He kind of juked a guy one time. And yeah. that's all we were asking from Benson. You know, don't completely get out of your run lane, but you are athletic enough to get away from these linemen and still make the tackle. You don't have to just engage like a Malcolm Rodriguez would do because he's that strong and has the lower body kind of strength and, you know, the wrestling background there. Use your strengths. You can get around these guys in different ways and still make plays. And he did that in this game. He was so much better at the point of attack. I felt like the thing that I was waiting to see was his first step being forward. You know, it had been a while since I felt like that was the case. It felt like every time the ball was snapped, he's kind of waiting and back on his heels. It really felt like he was 
climbing, climbing, climbing. And as you just said, Dustin, you put this in the Twitter thread. It was perfect. His ability to maneuver around the offensive lineman and then make arm tackles like that. That's not going to work against everybody may not work against Eric Gray this weekend, but at the very least you're in position to make the play, which the past several weeks he was not. And we, we have not really shied away from talking about him. He is a guy that absolutely deserves credit and praise for his performance Four solo tackles from him is, is indicative of that. And so I, I loved what he did um, again, that first step being at the line in those, you know, diagnosed run plays made so much difference in his ability to be near the play because what we've yeah. seen so often he's walled off. He's just not there. And, and he was this week. And I know Kendall Daniels, and the other guys that were involved in the turnovers, Jabbar played a great game, Jason Taylor, and then Latug comes in and gets the sack playing in that spot for Lacey in that formation we just talked about. I know they're going to get the accolades, but I, I thought Xavier Benson was my big takeaway from the defense, just specific player-wise in this game. And that's not any knock. I, I guess my, my one complaint on Benson is he still looked a little lost in zone. At the end of the game. <laughs> they were basically throwing it right over his head on all those completions. But Feels like that's been can, a thing. Yeah, he can continue, to, which I thought was one of his strengths, you know, watching him at Texas Tech. But I think he'll continue to clean that up. And it's not all on him. There's some miscommunication with the safeties. But I thought Cobb, aside from his couple of mixed, missed tackles, he was also extremely aggressive and physical. You know, we kind of called the defense out last week, Cade, yeah. on some of their effort. It, that was not the case in that game, in this game. There was one play. I don't know if I, I think I might have put it in the Twitter thread, but Cobb comes up, hits the offensive lineman so hard he knocks him backwards doesn't even have to get around him or anything. He just knocks the offensive lineman backwards and the running back runs pretty much directly into his hands and he tackles him. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's like a 300 plus pound guy. He's blasting backwards. Yeah. The point you just made is exactly why I labeled this as a culture win because last week the effort was so bad. You really have very few reasons to get up for Iowa state at home. And yet the guy, the very guys we asked questions about last week were the guys that we noticed this week on film and, and how they stepped up in the way they approached the game. So no question about it. The motor was there. I think that was half the battle this week. But additionally, some of those little changes to the way that they played, to the way that they, uh, you know, I, I loved the point you made about Benson not having to engage all the time. It shows. You're, you're exactly right. But I think Cobb continued uh, really what has been uh, a phenomenal first year kind of as the guy in the middle of this Oklahoma State defense. So, Yeah, I loved it. I, I think the only other thing I wanted to hit on the linebackers, Nick Martin comes in and just makes two great tackles. Yeah, no, nothing. You've been calling it all year, all year. He, he had, uh, what did he have? Eight snaps and two of them he made nice plays. Yeah. One in the backfield and one that, Stopped probably like a 20-yard gain on a catch in the middle of the field to a check down. Yeah, it's, it's a good ratio. Absolutely. <laughs> I loved it. Defensive back-wise, we're going to run out of flowers for Jabbar Muhammad. They, they were so confident. You know, we talked about them shading help to Xavier Hutchinson or help even help underneath because they don't really throw deep to him a lot. They didn't need. They didn't even try when it when he was lined up on Jabbar's side, which would be the right side of the field. They they literally left Jabbar out there by himself, 
unless, you know, if Xavier was crossing, he would maybe have linebacker or safety help crossing the field. But when it was, when it was on that side of the field, Jabbar just had him locked up one-on-one and did he, did he get beat maybe once? I think he got beat once. And outside of that, he had a pick, another pick on the very first play that would have been a pick six and then a two other, I think, pass breaks up, breakups in this game. It was an amazing performance from Jabbar. Well, I about him all year. We talked about him in the preseason. Potential all big 12 type of player. That was really kind of the performance we were talking about. I mean, he just continues to be a staple of, of this series and really a guy that sets the standard because then you look across the field at Corey Black, who's making one of the better individual plays we've seen on third down on Iowa State's last drive. So speaking of those guys, that was almost it was almost identical to the play Tanner McAllister made last year against Jaden Hazelwood as OU's going into the end zone to try to win that game. It's almost identical. So now you've got two guys who have shown you something there. Jabbar showed you definitely more than something. Even Corey Black, though, you know, for for some of his faults at times, he he made up for it on that one individual play. And so I, I, I've just continued to like what I see from the corners. I, I, I'll give Xavier Hutchinson 10 catches, 100 yards. I'll give you that. It's no problem. Yeah, he's the best receiver in the Big 12. He may be a Blitnikoff winner. Right. Uh, like it's, it's not – there's only so much you can do. And the thing about Corey, great just overall mentality from him yeah. in the game. He had gotten beat a couple times. He had made a couple plays. I think he had gotten beat not that long before he made that play at the end of the game. And he comes back out there and makes that play. He never got down on himself, especially you know going up against a guy that's as dominant as Hutchinson – you could, you know, just have a terrible game because you got beat a couple times early. Corey didn't let it phase him. And I, I know he got beat a few times, but I still think he played a great game. And I, I think my only other note on the corners is we finally saw that dime package that Gundy had been talking about. They take off Benson and bring out Cam Smith. So they go with six defensive backs and only one linebacker. I loved it. I, I know <laughs> I stopped there really excited about it when he talked about it on the radio show earlier this season and how he was sad. They didn't get to use it because Jabbar had to play strike. So it was cool to see it. And Cam Smith made a nice play when he was out there. I think they ran it for like three or four plays, but that was pretty cool. I I say go eight defensive backs on like third and 15 or longer (laughs) eight defensive backs. Cause I think Oklahoma state's got like 15 of them in the wings. Yeah. I love Why not? And yeah, no, I, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I don't even know how much time we need to spend on safeties. Like we talked about, you know, Daniels 20 times already, but there's not much more you can say about this guy. He missed a couple of tackles early. He fit incorrectly. It looked like to me on a couple of runs early, but the way he makes up for it, the plays that he makes and just his motor, I'm so excited to continue watching this guy play through his Oklahoma state career. He is I think everything I I could have dreamed for in after he got recruited, you know, I was a huge I was a huge Kendall Daniels guy, and he's lived up to the expectation. Uh, he's he's a completely different type of defensive back than Oklahoma State's ever had. He literally looks like he should be playing at Alabama or LSU. But okay, you'll talk about Kendall. I'll talk about Sean Michael Flanagan. So good. I mean, ten tackles. Oklahoma State's leading tackle on the day. Six of them were solo. One and a half tackles for a loss. I mean, we've talked about this. Oklahoma State involves the safety so heavy in the running game. 
Oklahoma State's three top tacklers were safeties. So it's not unexpected that these guys are making all these plays. But this was Sean Michael Flanagan's best game of his career, I would say, hands down. And the thing is, he's playing a little bit out of position. You see him, you know, kind of having to guard these slot guys one-on-one. He gets beat. You know, the touchdown gets thrown on him. Deshaun Shaw, who's like 90 feet tall. But he's (laughs) there. It wasn't like it was – he got you know – Okay, that deep ball that got dropped, he wasn't there. But outside <laughs> of that, he was there. He's playing a little bit out of position. Like you said, he's making tackles. He's playing kind of that overhang spot, which I'm sure they've practiced a lot. We just haven't seen it as much this year because Thomas normally lines up directly over the slot. I thought he played a really good game. Never really got in any kind of like run-pass conflict with any of Iowa State's either pre- or post-snap RPOs. He was so good. He's been in the program for so long hasn't had a ton of playing time on defense. He's been a special teams guy, but you know, he's just kind of taken that experience and played really well throughout the season, splitting reps with Daniels. And like, like you said, I thought this was probably his best game. And then, you know, other, some of the younger guys, Rawls gets in there, Jason Taylor, I, you know, interception. It's just, it's just what he does. Yeah. Yeah. No question. I mean, this was, you know, we talked about the need for this team to play as a unit after that KU game. There were so many individual mistakes that lead to a lack of success as a unit. Well, this was the opposite of that. I, I really felt like the three levels of this defense complemented each other. They gave some up, no doubt about it. But ultimately, this was the type of game I was talking about when I made that point. And we talked about it last week. So no question that uh, Oklahoma State needed it. They're going to need something more like it this week as well, um, but it couldn't have come at a better time. Yeah, I I think the only the only other note I have from this game is punt punt team special teams you got to pick it up. You know, Gundy yep. said that was on him with those punt blocks. Can't have that because you know, Iowa State gets scores because they get the ball at the nine yard line when the Cowboy defense had been shutting them down pretty much the entire game. Besides that, and. Hey, you know how I feel about special teams, but even so, don't take Tanner Brown for granted. He was one of the best kickers in Oklahoma State history, I think. You're so right. No one even talks about him. We don't talk about him either, but neither does anyone else. <laughs> yeah, well, you're 100% right. Um, I mean, I feel like I don't remember the last time he missed a field goal. Like I, He's only missed one, right? And then I think it was like a long, like a 50-plus yarder. Was that at TCU? think it was I th- yeah yeah yes yes that was yeah that one. from like but 65 yards I, there's some cra- you can go look there's some crazy stats on him nate like in the nation where he's like ranked in in kind of the percentage based on number of attempts and things like that total points scored it's it's pretty impressive and i, I think he's going to be in some of those finalist conversations for kickers at the end of the year yeah i think you're spot on i mean he, he's been amazing has been a staple. He just trots out there and you expect it to go in. It feels like guaranteed points every time. I don't even know what he looks like without his helmet on. <laughs> he's just a kicking robot to me. Yeah, he's just a swinging robotic leg. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I was thinking too. No, 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 that was obviously a joke. Tanner's been amazing. I, I'm sure he's not listening, but if he is, we, we'll talk about special teams for you, my guy. I've said Aaron Rodgers before is like a robot with an an. Uh, like movable arm that just throws the ball exactly where it is. So what I'm about to say is that Tanner Brown is the Aaron Rodgers of kicking. 
I like that. Yeah. But to me, he's the Michael Jordan. <laughs> Put print the shirts. Let's call some let's call home field print the shirts. All <laughs> yeah, right. But we're gonna we're giving Tanner more airtime as he gets for the rest of the season. We have to. If he goes and wins Bedlam for us this weekend, this, it. it may call be it the Tanner Brown show. <laughs> it may be the Tanner Brown show. I have to ask him to come on. He'll probably say no. Hey, speaking of home field, Dustin, I know we're about to get into Bedlam, but I bought just literally based on your your photo on our Instagram feed. I was like, I got to have that hoodie in my life. And I rocked it on Saturday. I wasn't at the game, so I was I didn't have to wear black. So I don't uh, I don't know if it was me, but it felt like me. And it definitely felt like home field were the reasons we got that win. It's a great hoodie. And we're not just saying that because they sponsor it. Like I said on here, it's very warm. Did you find that? I did find it to be warm. I also found it to be absolutely awesome. It looks so good. I love it. it. It's cool. Even if those helmets weren't your favorites, I I think the overall hoodie is still really, really cool. Yeah, I feel like you have to have it. And uh, I bought mine with my own personal money. I know you bought yours with your own personal money as well. So my wife's purse, but... So yeah, yeah. Well, my, my chores money, Dustin, is what I was saying. The, my allowance, but the point is, you should do the same. You should go find your wife's purse or your husband's purse, and you should pull out a a, a small stack, and you should go a to child's home. college. They're fund. gonna they're gonna cancel us for this ad read. But here's what I'm gonna say: You should absolutely go to homefieldapparel.com and you should check out uh, the Oklahoma State collection because this new hoodie is phenomenal. Uh, you could probably spot Dustin and I both rocking it at some point, but you can use our promo code FEELS12 and you'll get a discount uh, of 15% on your first order when you use them. A lot of cool stuff coming for Black Friday as well. Can't talk too much about that, I've been told. So uh, stick around. I'm sure we'll be able to uh, tell you more next week. Dustin, it's Bedlam. It's Bedlam. It's Bedlam. And I don't know. I get probably because OU hasn't been very good this season, which you and I called out in the preseason. But I I just, it's a little bit different. Normally going to Norman, I, I'm I'm not picking OSU. Prob- like it j- j- Just based on the history, even if, even if Oklahoma State has a pretty good team, I would probably still pick OU in a close game when it's there. But, and that probably is a lot of the, the only game I've ever gone to, the only OSU, OU Bedlam game in Norman I've ever gone to was the 2009 when we didn't score. So I think I'm just scarred for life from that. Yeah. But this year, I feel like, I just feel a little bit more confident. And maybe it's that Spencer Sanders fourth quarter comeback. But I, I'm not, I'm not super scared this year, Kate. I'm not well. super scared. I'm not super scared either. I I would say I'm shocked by the season that Oklahoma's had, but we literally talked about this as a possibility. We said this might happen. So minimal <laughs> scheme, dude. It's complex. It's like Saban's coverage scheme. We'll get into that. Yeah. So we we have to start with this though, right? I mean, when you talk about OU season. We're not, we're not going to dance on their grave. We'll do that Saturday at around 11 o'clock, as I expect. But for now, I feel vindicated, quite frankly, because I feel like all season, all offseason, I talked about it till I was blue in the face, that, hey, OU 
might put this together, but this is a lot of moving parts. They're breaking in a new scheme. They're breaking in a new quarterback. And I'm sorry, they're breaking in a new scheme on offense and defense. And they're breaking in a new head coach who's never been a head coach before. We could go down the list of the things that were standing in OU's way. But all we heard all offseason was that this was going to be a disciplined team. This was going to be a tough team. This was going to be an explosive team. It's none of them. It's none of those things. And so I feel a little bit lied to personally about, well, maybe not lied to because I knew, but I definitely feel as though uh, we were sold a bill of goods that I think Oklahoma State fans saw right through. And you look at OU going into this game, fighting for their bowl eligibility in this game. Yeah. And and Kate, you know, that's a perfect segue into the offense. They don't. They don't really have an identity, and I know I know Gabriel missed some time, but Jeff Levy coming from Baylor, UCF, Ole Miss, you're thinking Art Bryles spread you out, throw it around, get the running game involved as well, but they just haven't been able to connect on the deep balls lately, and they've kind of turned in to just a power rushing team with Eric Gray, who utilizes their QB to take deep passes and throw screens sometimes that's really what they've turned into and when we get to the defense i'm going to have a similar kind of take gundy even talked about on his radio show they don't really have an identity but you know okay so that jeff levy i talked about him think art bryles but they haven't been doing the wide splits as much I don't think they've done it more. I think than Levy did it Ole Miss, but they do some bunch stuff. Primarily eleven personnel. Braden Willis, their tight end, he's probably their best player. They move him all over the field. They even will snap it to him at quarterback. He'll be in the slot, backfield, inline blocker. They kind of they'll mix a bunch of things up. Something that they've kept the same with the Riley scheme is they'll do the GT counter, the GH counter. They'll mix in some outside zone stuff. Whereas Levy didn't go. As much to that, I don't think in his in his old Miss UCF days, it was more kind of inside zone and things like that, power dart. But they'll do that. They'll do some of that Riley stuff. They like to involve Gabriel in the running game, but he's not a Spencer Sanders type runner. He is a good runner, though, but he's not a Spencer Sanders type. Big RPOs. They'll do that wide receiver hitch. They'll do that slant RPO. They'll do wide receiver screen RPO. And then they like to take the top off. If they can, they just haven't really been able to. And I think the one other change, I think, from the Levy Ole Miss to Art Bryles is a ton of pre-snap motion, jet motion, orbit. They'll do that orbit return. They'll kind of move everything all around. But like I said, they've had to kind of rely on Gray in the running game recently because the, the passing game just hasn't been super consistent. Well, and when they scheme it up, there were two plays in Morgantown that really kind of encapsulate where OU is at right now when they scheme it up they're still not doing it well like there was a deep shot down the field to a wide open Marvin Mims I mean there's nobody within 15 yards of him he just drops it and then there's a pick play down near the end zone where if if you run that correctly it's a walk-in touchdown but they're blocking two yards down the field and the pass is past the line of scrimmage so OU's not even doing the little things well right now. So they're scheming this stuff up and they're not finishing the play. And I think you could, you'll hear anybody in, in Oklahoma city radio talk about that right now, but it's very, it's, it's very noticeable when you watch them. It feels like everything's a struggle 
And when they finally do pop one, something happens. Somebody's holding yeah. on it behind the play or the next play, something goes wrong. So they're, they're really struggling right now to, to sustain drives. You know, you look back over the last couple of weeks, they're not scoring as much as they were. Granted, the defenses that they've played have improved in Iowa State and Baylor, but not like that significantly. Well, and I think one thing with the scoring is, you know, Levy's teams like to go tempo, but with OU this season, if they're going tempo and scoring, they're kind of setting their defense up for failure because their defense hasn't been great. So you heard Dave Aranda talk about that. I believe it was before the OU game. He said, you know, it's – it's Lebby's Ole Miss offense. They played against them in the bowl game, but they're doing more of the Riley Bindenball stuff because to kind of help out the rest of the team, he didn't specifically call it the defense in that quote, but that's what he was getting at. So you're exactly right. If you can, if you can slow gray down yep. with a light box, keep guys back, do not let them get hit on the deep ball. You can pretty, you can slow this OU offense down to almost a halt. Can Oklahoma state do that? Will they even do that? Or will they just kind of load up on the run and say, Gabriel beat me deep. You haven't, you know, it hasn't been consistent recently. I'm not sure with which one they'll go with, man, but if you have the type of defense to slow them down, to not stop, slow the run game down with the light box, you can pretty much shut this OU offense down. Well, because so much of it is predicated on that. They build everything off of that that run and then hit you over the top with play action, hit you underneath, move move Braden Willis around. It's It's really not all that complicated when you watch it. And you can almost predict, like if you watch their cadence, you can almost call when the play action is coming because that's that's what they need to get to. They need to get to play action to be able to score points. And so you can almost feel when that play is coming. I think that teams have caught on to that. I think Iowa State caught on to that. I think West Virginia especially caught on to that. And, and outside of Eric Gray's 200-plus rushing yards in Morgantown, they couldn't do anything. And I, and I think a lot of that – is like forced success. So the question is then, you know, can Oklahoma State withstand, if, if they were to load the box, as you said, can they withstand OU's rushing attack at that point? It's a good question. I don't know. He's the leading rusher in the conference. He's an 1,100-yard rusher already with two games left really to go. Really good. So really good running back, really good, uh, really good offensive line at times to run behind. So we'll see, but I do think, you know, we, we saw Oklahoma State find a lot of success shutting this down last year. I know things have changed, but they've been they've been able to do it before. Yeah, and uh, you know, maybe a little bit different than Deckers. You saw Oklahoma State play a lot of man. You may go to more zone here because Gabriel will take off, and he he's pretty good at scrambling. Like he's not a. 40 yard dash fast guy. He's just a good runner. It's almost like, you know, how Spencer Sanders is a yep. really dynamic runner, but he's also fast. Gabriel just doesn't have the the straight line speed part, but he's a very dynamic runner. He's a good runner. It's almost like a Clint I, I, Shelf type of speed. Yeah. Yeah. The, the breakaway from the cop speed. Yeah. That kind <laughs> of speed. The, but I, I think, you know, I think you'll see some zone. I, I'm not sure, like I said, Kate, I'm not sure what Oklahoma State will go with because we see them play really well against the run last game, but you've got to have really good defensive line and linebacker play if you're going to sit back and take away the deep ball. 
We know Mason talks about the top down. So maybe that is what they try to do and have kind of a backup scheme. If it doesn't work, maybe make some adjustments, but we'll see if they're able to slow gray down though at all. I think Oklahoma state could run away with this one, getting Wilson Sanders, Bray, Braden Johnson back. So like, like you said, though, just to kind of talk about the rest of the unit, we've hit on gray and Gabriel a lot. Said pretty good offensive line coming into the year. I thought this was gonna be a really good offensive line. They've had some struggles. Anton Harrison at left tackle, McCabe Mature at left guard, Andrew Rame, former Oklahoma State recruit at center. He is probable for this game. Uh, Venable said he's probably gonna need surgery at the end of the year. He left the last game, the West Virginia game with injury, and then uh, Wenya Morris at the right tackle spot. So they've got Harrison Rame and Murray are all solid. Uh, the the two tackles, I think they've struggled a little bit this year, but if Rain can't go, I think you'll see Robert Congle, who's been serviceable, but I think that'll be pretty big if Rain's not in there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the guys you think about on this OU offensive line, so definitely something to monitor. And I, I want to go back to a point you just made. I do feel like if you're able to get a lead on this OU team right now, they might fold. That the the morale is extremely low. Um, they they don't look like they're having a whole lot of fun right now. And I feel like in a rivalry game, if you come in there and land the first punch, maybe via the defense, via turnover, you really could, I think, get OU to start wondering what's going on, get them in their head a little bit. It's bedlam; anything can happen. But I I feel like for you know maybe I. Even last year, I think this is one of the first times where you really feel like Oklahoma State is the aggressor here and has a chance to throw an early knockout punch and really get OU on their heels. So, Yeah, and I think the the only position group we haven't really touched on is the wide receivers. Marvin, they'll play him in the slot. They'll split him out wide as well. Theo Weiss, Jaleel Farouk. You'll see Drake Stoops in there. Gibson. I, I mean, all these guys are – really really talented mims if if they catch the ball in space they're gonna make you miss gotta watch out for them that's why you know we talk about possibly loading the box but if gabriel hits one of these deep guys deep they're probably taking it all the way so it's something you gotta watch out for like i talked about Braden willis i i'm sure that OU will try to take advantage of Oklahoma State's linebackers and coverage. We might see a lot of Braden Willis underneath on some crossers, just kind of in those zones behind the linebackers. I would expect to see that early. Hopefully Oklahoma State can kind of defend against it. But yeah, that that's pretty much it on their offense. You know, we've seen won't talk too much about their backup quarterbacks because we've seen how that went for them earlier this year. But they'll mix Daniel Parker in there at tight end as well. And it's a lot of talented guys. They just haven't been able to put it together. And I'm hoping they don't against Oklahoma State this week. <laughs> well, they, again, they are fighting for their bowl eligibility. They end the season with Oklahoma State at home and at Texas Tech. Like, this is this is a big stretch of games for them. They, they have a lot riding on this. So we'll see how it goes. I, I wonder if the pressure becomes too much. Who knows? Dustin, what, what about the defensive side of the football? You kind of mentioned Brent Venable's scheme being really difficult. It seems as though they are having some issues handling this guys in the wrong spot. I think they've got – think about OU's. They've always got guys, but are they in the right area? And more so than, you know, especially the last several years, feels like the answer to that question is no. 
So I know OU fans hate it, but I don't really hate what Venables, Venables mindset is here. That's what Venables. Venables. That actually, I'll probably just call him that the rest of the time. But I, I did. I don't hate his mindset. Basically, what it seems like to me that he's doing is saying, "I'm going to install this entire complicated scheme. We're going to have a ton of growing pains this first year, but we're going to have so much stuff on film, and we have the talented, smart football IQ athletes." to come back and build off of this going forward, see the mistakes on film. I know they're not really doing it as much in season, but it's his first year there. So I don't hate it. I know for a fan base like OU who expects success year after year, you know, they had a lot of guys leave Lincoln Riley leaves. They wanted to be good this year, but I, I think this may pay off in the long run on defense. Now I, I don't know about the offensive side of the ball, but, on defense, this may pay off in the long run. He hired Ted Roof to be the defensive coordinator. He's got a long track record at Vandy, App State, NC State, Georgia Tech, Penn State, UCF. You know, I could go on. He was on the helped as part of that national title team in 2010 at Auburn. But they base, and I mentioned this earlier about not having an identity. They kind of have two looks they base out of. So it's the classic Stoops, Venables, old school 4-3 with their strong side linebacker. They call him the Cheetah which is kind of a cool name for that position. He normally plays like an overhang, uh, which I talked about earlier, to the field side. But then they've also been running this 3-3-5 Iowa State-style defense, and they've kind of gone back and forth. They seem to be more on the on the 4-3 uh, look now, or they have been recently. It's just I, I don't think they even know what they want to do. And then in coverage, it's a lot of stuff that looks – like cover three and quarters, but it's that Nick Saban match. We talk about that with Derek Mason too, where it's zone, but in your zone, you're manned up and you'll have to pass off. And depending on the look, the formation, how the receivers release off the line of scrimmage, you're supposed to do different things as a defensive back and as a linebacker in coverage. And you can just see in these games, you know, there, there was one play I saw somebody clip earlier this season where it looked like everybody else was in cover three and one of the cornerbacks stayed in the flat like cover two. I think that was a a match coverage call. He saw something he thought looked like, hey, I'm going to stay in the flats here. And it it was wrong because they hit a deep ball and nobody's in that deep third behind him. I think it's just a lot of confusion for these guys on learning this complicated coverage system. So many different looks and disguises. They just haven't been able to put it together. But I think it'll get corrected going forward. I'm not trying to be optimistic for OU. I'm just, <laughs> as a, as someone watching football, I think it'll get corrected. Just this year, that when there's a bust, it's big. And it, it's kind of expected when you're learning a scheme like this. Well, that's the thing. It's not unlike what we, I mean, think back to Jim Knowles' first year. That's a difficult scheme to learn. Think back to then. There were, there were busts in coverage. There were guys in the wrong spot. It felt like there were flashes, but they could never really put it all together. And it took three years before you start to really see things change. The question that comes for me is like, are OU fans and administration patient enough? And I'm, we don't even have to have this no. bigger conversation. He won't get three years to figure it out. So this is a very precarious situation for them to, to try was, to figure out what to change. It was a bold strategy, Cotton, and let's see if it <laughs> plays out for him. Because because I like I think it was, I mean maybe not the best well, strategy, but I think it's smart and he's kind of held to it. But I mean, I think the, the thing that's different, Cade, just real quick from last year, 
Grinch's defense was a little more simplified, and his defensive linemen were just shooting gaps. They were responsible for their one gap. Everybody's kind of playing on their toes, generating a lot of tackles, but they'd give up big plays. Venables is the react and the react read from the defensive line, you know, kind of figuring out which gap you're going to go to, two gapping, and then all that stuff going on in the back end. It's just a lot for these guys to learn. Well, and one of the things they've really struggled with is mobile quarterbacks this year. You saw Adrian Martinez carve them up. I mean, Garrett Green, who who doesn't appear to know how to throw a football, I think he only did it a couple of times, so really not even sure if he knows how to do it. <laughs> He carved them up. It's like you know what's coming, and you still can't defend it. So I that's why I you know kind of laid the table as we were talking about this earlier around OU's ability to defend the run, whether it's Spencer Sanders or not. Like OU's going to have issues with with that, and I think Spencer Sanders gives you a whole new dynamic for this young OU defense who has gotten out of control at times. This is really an opportunity I think to to kind of put all the things that OU has struggled with together and present them with like a very deadly game plan it's like they're struggling with mobile quarterbacks they're struggling to contain you know a zone run at times and get a physical receiver on the outside one-on-one and go win those battles this is this is an opportunity for Oklahoma State to, to have a really nice game on the offensive side of the ball and the thing is, if, if OU tries to kind of load the box and say, Spencer Sanders beat me deep, you know yeah, your shoulder's please. hurting, do they actually know that? Because like we said, he hasn't been throwing the football very much. This past game, all his completions are 10 yards or less. There's probably a lot of juice in that arm, even banged up. And with Bray, Braden Johnson back, with how Bryson Green has played this season – this is a game with those outside receivers. If OU tries to do that and they go cover three match the whole game and leave guys on an island, I think you see big games from these outside receivers. You know, I, I normally call the slot guys out. But I think in this game, if OU chooses to do that, which they might because it's a base part of their defense, I think they can get carved up down the sidelines. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly where I think o- Oklahoma State will go. I think the game plan is simple. See, figure out a way to establish the run, get Spencer's legs involved, and get it to your big receivers. There's a size advantage out there. I think there's a talent advantage out there. Um, I, I think Oklahoma State's got advantages uh, in in key areas here. If you can run the ball at all, <laughs> 3.7 yards a carry, there's going to be stuff open downfield because yep. OU will have to adjust. And the we haven't seen as many busts. They fit better in the run recently, but there will still be some. You'll have an opportunity. And with a quarterback as ex- as smart and as experienced as Spencer Sanders, I think he'll be able to find some shots. And, it, I mean, just real quick, if you want to run through kind of their key guys uh, before we wrap up, defensive line, Isaiah Coe, Jalen Redman, who may not play. He's banged up. Reggie Grimes, Jeffrey Johnson, the transfer, Ethan Downs. They rotate a bunch of guys, uh, Marcus Stripling, Jordan Kelly. They rotate a ton of guys in there on the defensive line. They have the ends, the defense tackle, and then their nose tackle. It's a good unit. They haven't been amazing, but when they're able to just – if they can get up on a team and turn that team one-dimensional, these guys are awesome in the pass rush. 
So you don't want that if you're Oklahoma State because they will get after you. But, you know, throughout the whole game, they haven't been very consistent this season. Yeah, no, I, you know, Dustin, to me, it does shape up. It's like, obviously, it's never as simple as you'd like it to be. There are going to be things that go wrong for Oklahoma State during this game. But if they can figure out a way to establish the run, we've seen it already the last couple of weeks. If they can figure out a way to sustain the run through the first half, through the first quarter and a half, this is going to be an interesting game because it takes some pressure off of Spencer Sanders. One of my biggest keys to this game is Spencer not feeling like the pressure of throwing that knockout punch is there. Like he can't, yeah. he can't make mistakes that allow OU and OU's favored by seven and a half. But I, I haven't seen anything to make me feel like they should be considered the odds on favorite to win this game headed into this. I think on paper, Oklahoma State's the probably more complete football team. And I think there's something to be said for the way these seasons have trended. Oklahoma State's healthy at the right time. I really think one of the keys to this game is Spencer staying within himself, continuing to show what he's shown all year, and that's full total command of the offense. I don't expect that to change, but it is one of those variables in a rivalry game. You, you, you need to stay composed. Yeah, I think that's a great call out. And like you mentioned OSU getting some guys back, and we talked about Rame, Redmond, Justin Broyles, who's got 453 snaps in the secondary. He's banged up. I think he'll play, but he's banged up. You know, that they've they've you know, they've got solid guys that they're Mike and Will and Cheetah, Woody Washington, Key Lawrence in the defensive backfield, Jaden Davis. But I think there's areas you can expose. And I, I think if Spencer Sanders is as healthy as we think he's gonna be for this game, which obviously isn't a hundred percent, I think I think Oklahoma State and win this game and do it in, you know, not blowout fashion, but do it in where it looks like they controlled the game the entire time. I'm still probably going to pick it pretty close because that Vegas line keeps scaring me, but it's, I, I think they can control this game. Well, let's, let's pick it. Oklahoma enters the game at seven and a half point favorites over under 64 and a half. Oklahoma state won the last matchup 37 to 33. I'm going to double back here. I'm going Oklahoma State 35 to 24. I I, okay. I don't think it's a blowout. I do get the feeling though that this has the makings of an opportunity for and does it ever go this way in Norman? It feels like no. But I feel like the way Oklahoma enters this game and the way Oklahoma State enters this game, if you can jump out to an early lead, I think you're I feel like 35-24 feels closer than it actually is. And I know that's bold. That's an 11-point win against a line that has you losing by seven and a half. So I realize that may sound out of bounds, but I really feel like Oklahoma State has the pieces to give Oklahoma trouble in the areas they've tr had struggle struggles with all year. Yeah, I, I'm going to pick it 34-27, Oklahoma State. I, I think – I think it's close the whole time, but I think Oklahoma State's pretty much always in the lead. Gets scary at the end, and Oklahoma State pulls it out. I love it. So, surely next week will be fun, as we just predicted both of us would predict OSU to go into Norman and win. Yeah. I I think the last 
I think last year, and I think on our old podcast, I don't know if I ever picked Oklahoma State to win. <laughs> I don't think we did last year. I uh, I actually think you might be spot on there. So, I mean, they've got a chance to go get two in a row against Oklahoma. It's it's a rarity, but let's do it. Let's you know what? And there's a chance that this is the last bedlam in Norman uh, for a long time. What, wouldn't it be fun to go send them packing and 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 take a little bit of that home with you? So, anyway, should be a fun one. ABC six thirty. Kirk Herbstreet, Chris Fowler on the call. Should be a big-time atmosphere. We'll see. Uh, OU fans may have given up. They may be. Uh, they may have other things to do this weekend, <laughs> but uh, get ready for softball season, perhaps. We'll see. Who knows? <laughs> All right, Dustin, let's move on. We're, we're going to skip over basketball this week. Obviously, two games to break down. As we get beyond – you know, football season, we'll obviously start to incorporate more basketball, but probably just, next week. I would I think mean. so. Real quickly, though, lost to Southern Illinois uh, at home uh, earlier in the week. And then you go to Oakland, a team who did what Southern Illinois just did to you. Last year, Oakland came into Gallagher and won, and Oklahoma State goes on the road and wins by 29. I would say removed most of the lingering anxiety about that Southern Illinois performance. Just a real quick hitter on basketball. 12 threes UCF this Friday. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the Bahamas. And I think you play the winner of, uh, if you win, you played the winner of DePaul and, uh, Santa Clara. So not a star studded, uh, event, but should be good. Uh, you know, a gauge of competition and UCF lost, uh, to a smaller school. Oh, did the they really the season as well? I think in How a really it? close game. <laughs> yeah. How about it? Well, TCU just lost the fighting Rondell yeah. Walkers just lost at home to Northwestern state. Oklahoma just lost to Sam Houston State. So college basketball, folks, is just a little bit different than college football. I think those things happen uh, with more regularity. So anyway, Dustin, let's let's move on. No audio questions this week, but I know we've got a few on. Yeah. WT Appraisal is the premier commercial agriculture appraisal firm throughout the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas area, and the Great Plains region of America, specializing in appraisals of farms, ranches, commercial retail facilities, and industrial real estate. WT Appraisal has over 30 years of experience in agriculture real estate and over 10 offices throughout the region. OSU graduate Andrew Cox has been appraising properties throughout Oklahoma for over a decade and would love to give you help with your appraisal needs. So give Andrew a call at 806-418-2629 or visit WTAppraisal.com for more information. So we got Glory Cowboy at Goerg Sankar. He said last time Hunter Woodard played for OSU is against Texas. Last time OSU scored more than 20 points is also against Texas. How can we score <laughs> more than 24 points against OU, which I think is the minimum number of points we have to get to win without Woodard? Kate, my thing here is I, I think it's more a problem of not having Wilson. I Not because I think Woodard – Wilson is better than Woodard. I think Woodard's the best lineman on the team. But Jason Brooks has been solid. He hasn't been terrible backing up Woodard. And I'm not saying Joe Mahalski and Eli Russ have been terrible backing up Wilson. I just think Wilson is that much better than them and more experienced. Amen. A lot of the issues you've had is the ability to contain, you know, interior defensive linemen, linebackers trying to shoot the gap. Um, I think Wilson being back you know, God willing ankle gets better. I, I do think that that, it, that makes a noticeable difference early in this game. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for the question. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. It's a great question. Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf. He says, I can't for the life of me find the last time Oklahoma state 
had a lefty versus a lefty in a game. I said that multiple times during the game to to my wife and to uh, our our buddy that was sitting by us as well. I was I was trying to think of just any time in a game I've seen two lefties go up against each other recently. I have no clue. It just feels like there aren't any, right? I mean, Sam Ellinger was a lefty, wasn't he? Or was he a right? No, he he just I threw it like a lefty. <laughs> a weird notion. I I mean, there's it's it's pretty rare. I feel like in the Big Twelve to see. I can't think of any when recently i'm sure there's like multiple i'm missing but it doesn't even matter when's the last lefty quarterback we had yeah exactly so i don't know brian you go look (laughs) (laughs) and then uh justin coth at d-line 45 he says wrestling landed the number one recruit in the next class hey hey wrestling you know our guy lee He's always positive over there. When he came and did the preview last year, I think he picked Oklahoma State to win it all. He may do it again. We may ought to have Lee back. Yeah, we're gonna have to have Lee back on for sure. But the uh, that's awesome. I, I'm pumped for wrestling season. I'm really excited. Gonna try to make it to some to some duels this year for sure. Yeah, should be fun. Some some wrestling games should be a good time in Stillwater. <laughs> so, no, Dustin, this is a big one, man. I mean, in the seat, a, a chance to really kind of get the taste out of your mouth about the way the middle of this season went. Um, I, I like Oklahoma state's chances to bedlam. Anything can happen, but it should be a good one. I know of a lot of Oklahoma state fans going to brave the uh, elements, uh, both, both the weather and uh, environment, if you catch my drift. So <laughs> if you're in Norman, uh, have fun, be safe, embrace it. And uh, hopefully you come out with the win. Dustin, I, I can't help but feel a little nervous that we both picked OSU to win by more than the line that they're, uh, you know, underdogs against. I, hey, that's just how I feel this year. I, yeah. I, that's just how we feel this year. I, I gotta, I can't let the bedlam scaries creep in and influence my pick. Not going to happen. Not here. Not never. Feels like 45. <laughs> All right, Dustin, good to talk to you, my friend. Let's get out of Norman with a win and all of our footballs, right? I think the last time we were there, we had some issues with, uh, with the, with the footballs in the end zone. Anyway, um, if you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at dust and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We'll see you back here next week. Go pokes and beat OU.